This podcast is made possible by the generosity of listeners like you. Kindly consider a contribution through Patreon or PayPal. Links are in the details box. Patreon is a monthly subscription that you can cancel anytime. And PayPal is a one-time donation. Any amount is appreciated. And follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The handle, The Beirut Banyan. And you can find us on our YouTube channel with the same name. And you can start watching the episodes as they're released. Thank you for listening. And thank you for watching. I'm Rani Shatah, and this is the Beirut Banyan. Sergio, thank you for taking time out of COVID-19 and all that's happening to speak with me. I'm flattered. And I know that a lot of people have free time because of COVID-19. Regardless, it's still flattering that you're taking some of that free time to speak with me. I do envy you, though, because you're in Miami. And, you know, you have the upper hand here. I'm in New York under lockdown. It's been kind of wintry weather recently. I'm getting the vibe from your clothing choice that it's quite warm and pleasant in Miami. So uh, maybe next time I'll set up the podcast in Florida <laughs> and just Thank do it from you. there. <laughs> Thank you, Ronnie. I, uh, I, I'm really honored. I'm very happy to be in your program. I'm a regular listener since you started, actually. The very first episodes I've been following you. And uh, let me also say that I'm a really a great admirer of your father. I mean, he's, he, he has been an inspiration to me in many, in many ways. I've never told you this, but... Uh, uh, his 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 ideas and his behavior, especially, uh, inspire me in many ways. And I, I think you know he's he's really a figure that we would need in Lebanon now more than uh, many of the other people that are running the show. And uh, I, I I truly miss him. You're very kind, Sergio. Uh, all I can say is that I'm going to be at best a disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> because I have that kind of shadow over me. But uh, no, I, you're very nice to share these words with me. Uh, Sergio, you're, you're the first person that I'm going to speak with that kind of leaves the, the region entirely. Um, I've, I've met many people that kind of give a perspective from Europe, a perspective from America, uh, plenty of guests in Lebanon, in the region, speaking about the region. Um, you're the first person I've spoken with that uh, is willing to engage the South American story. And I, I really wanted to talk to you about this because comparisons are thrown out all over the place. And more recently, I'm hearing comparisons with two countries in particular, Venezuela and Argentina. And I actually don't know if these are appropriate comparisons. So I thought I'd speak to you, knowing that you do spend most of your time, I believe, in Argentina. And uh, you have a sort of a personal understanding of that dynamic as well. Um, before anything, just your immediate emotion to what we've been seeing in, in Lebanon on the news, particularly the last few days and also last few weeks, this rapid freefall of the lira. And with that, of course, the continuing protests and the demonstrations. Do you sense that the worst has yet to come in, in a very sort of uh, in, a, in a superficial understanding of what's happening? Do you think the lira will continue to devalue in the near future? 
And is there really nothing that could be done at this point to put the brakes and kind of halt that what seems to be a free fall? If I'm not mistaken, today it's hit 4,500. It may even be higher. So just your immediate sort of your immediate understanding and reaction to the, the last stretch in Lebanon. Okay. Uh, first of all, I think, uh, yes, there are things that can be done and mm -hmm. they have to be done rather soon. And uh, no, I don't think this is the worst we've seen yet. Mm -hmm. And that comes from my personal experience from Argentina, you know, the country where I was born. Yes. And a country which can be compared to Lebanon in some ways, but not in others. You know, Argentina mm -hmm. is a very wealthy country mm -hmm. in terms of resources, in terms of uh, uh, capacity to to produce uh, food, for instance. You know, Argentina can yes. feed. 400 million people it has only 40 uh, 44 million inhabitants well that's incredible For, so 10 times the population they're able exactly. to sustain wow wow exactly. Argentina is among the largest producers of and exporters of uh, uh, beef mm -hmm. uh, grains like uh, wheat uh, corn and uh, soya beans Gee, now you're making uh, me hungry <laughs> I should have yeah, yeah. I should have had lunch before this conversation. <laughs> sorry, sorry to interrupt. Yes. <laughs> so, 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 but, 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 but then again, you know, uh, the comparative is because Argentina went through a crisis which somehow resembles the crisis that you have in Lebanon today. Mm -hmm. uh, the rapid uh, stop of a, of, a, of economic system. You know uh, the the. Uh, all of a sudden, you know, we've had uh, the pacification of the economy, so we can call it the uh, lirification of the Lebanese economy, you know, right. the conversion of uh, the dollars that you had put in the bank, like Argentinians have put dollars in the bank, and they all of a sudden became pesos, and uh, with oh. the devaluation. Okay, I did not know. So there, there's that similar story, uh, that there was a dollarized economy uh, before well, there, there is there is a big difference. Mm. Uh, I'll tell you what's the big difference sure. first. Mm -hmm. I mean, Argentina, as I said, was a very wealthy country mm -hmm. back at the beginning of the of the 20th century. Was the eighth largest and richest uh, country in the world. Yes. Uh, so yes. Argentina has the record of 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 being the country that uh, went faster from number eight to number eighty. Right. Okay? <laughs> We have we have a history of failure. Yes, yes. Uh, and another way I'm going to tell you also that in my life I'm 57 years old. In my life I've seen uh, uh, the, the Argentinian, the different Argentinian governments, regardless of ideology, taking 13 zeros from the currency, which means right, right. So taking 13 zeros, just imagine this is devaluation, because what what happened is they changed the currency in order to adopt a new conversion rate and a new currency that wouldn't be like 15 billion pesos to one dollar. So can, can I ask you just I, my the numbers I'm not too familiar with. What, what, what were the numbers like in that kind of in that episode 20 years ago? I mean, what was the uh, the currency exchange rate at, at, well, maybe at its best and then at its worst? Well, no, at, at its best was probably like Lebanon, you know, two and a half pesos to uh, one to one dollar. That's maybe. so similar, right? That's 2.5, yeah, 2.2. Yeah, yes, maybe. yes. But the problem is that we've taken those two and a half pesos today, if you want to convert them to today's currency, you would have to add 13 zeros. 13, so wow. Dollars. So we're talking trillion 
pesos. I mean, or more some than more, I think it's more, more trillion, probably. Wow, wow. So, so, so Argentina, you know, they are comparing Argentina to the last crisis, which is the beginning of the of two thousand and one, two thousand and two. But, but you know, I'm I'm going beyond, you know, which I'm what, what I'm trying to tell is Argentina is a country which has been in crisis forever for the past <laughs> seventy years. Yes. So, so we've seen things like what is happening to Lebanon today too many times. Argentina defaulted eight times. Wow. And, and you're talking about the first time that Lebanon defaulted is now. So if I'm getting this right from you, that Lebanon is in an okay shape compared to Argentina. That No, I didn't say that. Okay. Oh. Argentina, <laughs> has, I, I, Argentina has a history of instability and, 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 politi- and economic decline. And, and they are comparing Lebanon to the last one that we had in mm. 2001. Okay. So in other words, the worst times in Argentine history are better reflective of what Lebanon is going through now. That the older you go, the more kind of, the more the commonalities appear. Well, yeah, I think the common, the most common element is the last, precisely the last crisis we had. Oh, okay. Okay. So, okay. So that's yes. why most economists and most comparisons go to the last one. I just wanted right, to make right. a, reference, yes. a general reference that you're not comparing a country which I've never seen crisis. You know, yes. we're comparing to a country that is probably the most prone to crisis ever in the world. That's interesting. Can I ask you though? This I, again, I ask you as somebody with limited knowledge on on all of the all of the above. Uh, was social unrest part of the part of the equation twenty years ago? to the level that we're seeing in Lebanon right now. And I ask you because I do, I mean, I was younger, but I remember Argentina on the news and that a lot of people were committing suicide. And that if I hope I remember this correctly, uh, psychiatry was sort of the most sought profession in Argentina in those immediate years that people were people were very desperate socially, emotionally, and that it was very painful but I don't remember violence per se. I don't remember that kind of the images of, uh, and this is a, an example for Lebanon, banks on fire or banks being attacked. I, I don't remember any of that. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. Yes, all that was present. I mean, mm. First of all, let me tell you, psychiatrist, it's still the biggest profession <laughs> in Argentina. <laughs> so it will be comparable to, to plastic surgeons in Lebanon. Oh, there yeah. you go. Well, at least in Argentina, they're fixing what what's important. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not permanent damage; it's permanent I'm repair. Trying, I'm not sure they are fixing. All oh, right, <laughs> but, but, that's but, funny. But let me go to to what. Let me make your brain a little smaller here at the corner here. Let me trim your brain. <laughs> so let me let me explain to you. Yes, there was the kind of violence you are talking about, mm. which it depends how you call what you consider violence. To me, violence is when you when you go and you attack a person, and when you go and you. Uh, and, you know, uh, go with a weapon and against somebody. Right. Uh, right. But when you are, you have deposited all your savings into a bank. Yes. And 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 you go and you try to take your savings that you know they were in U.S. dollars, mm-hmm. and uh, you trusted that you know first of all because in Argentina nobody trusts the pesos, so okay. they had to yeah. put in dollars. Yes. And that that's part of the local history there. Right. So everybody. Uh, you know, who had money in in dollars, they were not only 
uh, not allowed to to withdraw them mm-hmm. because the dollars were not there. Similar situation to Lebanon. Yes. The bank lent the money to the government. The government spent it regardless of how it spent it, but it was not there anymore. Mm-hmm. So the bank had no money to give the depositors back what they were owed. Right. Okay? So, yes, you had uh, branches which were attacked. Yes, there, there was violence against, uh, you know, material. I would call the, the material an anger. I'm not so sure if I want to equate violence. Violence to, to me is what's happening, you know, with some Palestinians in Gaza or, you know, that's right. the Syrian regime is doing to its own people. That's, that's actually, that's a that's a very good clarification. I, I And I should catch myself more often using that word because I, I agree. The term has a negative connotation to it. And, and I guess in Argentina and in Lebanon, the violence is more, if it, maybe that should be put in quotes, it's desperation. It's almost like uh, trying to save whatever you can, which is very yeah. different than, and there's no attacking people between people. You're absolutely right. Exactly. So yeah. they, they were not really, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and one thing that I want to uh, mention to you, mm-hmm. just a bit of uh, a bit of a sad story. You know, in, I remember in 2001 in Argentina, everybody chanting in Argentina, que se vayan todos, mm. which means que se Oh, interesting. Really? So yes. does it actually translate to that? Yes. Oh, that's... Everybody must leave. Okay. Well, that's that's impressive. Wow. So, so, yeah. so the good news is that, you know, it's, it's not the Lebanese invention. <laughs> right. Uh, the bad news is that today in Argentina, nobody left. Right. We are talking about 19 years after and same, some of the same characters, yeah. same people who created this problem from Argentina from the previous year, still in power or the same political parties are in power or the same political ideas that brought Argentina into this crisis mm-hmm. are, you know, are around and we have not really uh, 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 achieved the idea of that everybody must leave. So I'm curious, in, in Argentina, in, in those years, so that early early 21st century, the, the most, recent, uh, most recent crisis, were the protester demands similar to the Lebanese protesters and that it was going beyond economics that people were trying to reshape their relationship with the state did, did it go into this kind of social pact issues that are not financial per se or, or were they more limited to the banking sector and we want economic reform I'm curious in the uh, in the comparison be- between at least the demands on the street because I ask you that in the Lebanese context it I mean, even though the economics is obviously the the core issue, but it's surrounded by many other issues that go back decades. I was wondering if Argentina is, is similar. Well, you know, I, I could say that in, in Argentina, the, the the demands for a, a better economic system or a better financial system were there, and they were not new. They were not new to 2000. Right. Argentina is famous for, for being a country that spends, the government spent well above and beyond of what they should. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Most, most of it, and that's why we had prior, prior, uh, uh, you know, devaluations, and that's why we had prior, uh, uh, you know, currency uh, uh, changes in the, in the in even the name right. of the currency. So right. pesos changed to Australis, Australis to pesos Argentinian, Argentinian pesos into pesos again. So <laughs> we've seen many currencies. At least you have the lira. You know, we have many more. So, uh, and this That's is true. part of the government overspending, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, either in corruption or in uh, 
uh, mostly in corruption, I would say, but, but, but mismanagement mostly. And some of the problems that you've had in Lebanon, because it's not that, you know, we have to face it, in Lebanon it's not that all the money was stolen from the banks or by the central bank or by the government. Mm-hmm. A lot of that money that was uh, deposited into dollars went into consumption. And all right, the right. were responsible for that consumption because they were importing uh, goods from all over the world. They were living beyond their means, uh, regardless of how you finance it. Either yes. you have to use your, your savings or your, your money you earn or your credit card or, uh, you know, and, and that's exactly what happened in Lebanon. Same thing happened in Argentina. Mm-hmm. You had an economic system in which you have no exports and you import everything so you need dollars to finance that consumption. That's interesting. So, so it's really, really like the dollars disappear from the banking system. Yes, there is a lot of corruption. Yes, yeah. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yes, there is a lot of uh, mismanagement in the spending of the government. But a lot of that money also went into every Lebanese that, for the past, you know, twenty years, have been consuming uh, a, a huge amount of dollars in order to have the life that they had. So, you know, I actually haven't heard this sort of narrowing it down to that issue. This is the first time because I I do always hear that it's usually there's the corruption factor that kind of takes precedence. But it's it's good to hear that the I don't even know what the terminology would be on this, but that outspending, basically. Yeah. And so Argentina. It's called living beyond your means. Right. But. But in terms of like on a factor scale, was Argentina much more massive and therefore the devaluation was so much worse? Is there anything to do with the Argentine example being more more dramatic than the Lebanese one? Argentina had a peg system. You know, the currency was pegged to the dollars. Mm -hmm. So it was, you know, it was very easy to to get a lot of dollars, uh, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, because the dollar was very cheap. As it was in Lebanon, right? You know, the right. currency was overvalued, and this is how you overspend. Yes. Right. When your currency is overvalued and you don't export anything, or yeah. you export very limited things, you know. And what the problem Lebanon had is that Lebanon lived on the service from the service economy. Yes. Right. So once you stop providing the services because of the Syrian war, because of the of, of you know the exports diminished because Syria was closed and the borders was closed, so all the exports from Lebanon to the rest of the Middle East were kind of blocked. Yes. And then you have the decrease in the remittances from the Gulf coming to Lebanon, and then you have the decrease in deposits in the bank, and you have decrease in the number of tourists. So everything that Lebanon was was getting as uh, you know in their balance of, of of trade was diminishing. And the balance of payment was also affected in the case of Lebanon because remittances were becoming, you know, they were, you begin to have a shortfall. Did, did, did corruption tip the scale over that it became unsustainable or is that, is it separate from corruption that this was, no, this was an inevitable situation? The problem is the corruption never stopped and perhaps increased. Okay, so, so it's really both both kind of taking off together. Exactly. Mm-hmm. As, as you have the corruption was was perhaps growing why why you know you have corruption in in the uh, EDL you know the, you are buying imported oil from God knows whom now they are discovering a lot of contracts which are funny uh, uh, then you have uh, uh, all kind of 
I don't want to describe this because it's, it's too big, and I think you deserve three programs to talk about the different ways that Lebanon has been corrupted. But as this is increasing, <laughs> you know, politicians become greedier, yeah. or they have to uh, they have to pay more for to keep the system up, and the money is decreasing. The right. incoming money is decreasing. Why? You know. You're, you're paying an interest rate in Lebanon. You know, I was a banker part of my life, and, and I always think, we always thought that when, when, when the reward is too big, it's something smelly, something fishy. If you're getting a deposit, you're depositing into a Lebanese bank, mm-hmm. at 12, 13, 8%, whatever, different parts of, of you know, yeah. the past, uh, years at different rates, but they were always well, well above what anybody else was paying. And and you're talking about the dollar too, not just the lira. Exactly. I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. Because being equal, you know, the dollar being right. equal in every country, yeah. the lira is a different, it's a different thing because you're. This is the local currency, and right. then you know you have your own internal uh, elements to yeah. to. But but when it comes to dollars, why would I get paid in in Lebanon? Eight uh, percent. Well, in the U.S., I was getting one, one and a half, or two percent. Oh, that's actually that's pretty good for America. Two percent. I, I envy your rates. Well, in the no, I'm, I'm talking maybe two years ago. <laughs> right, now, right, now right. It's, it's zero point. point yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but but in those days, so uh, you know, and, and it's good that you mentioned that as American interest rate got lower and lower, Lebanese interest rate got higher and higher. Yeah, that actually, I'm glad you said this. You know, that you're the first person to actually say that. I always felt this as somebody who has accounts in both countries. Um, and I know that it's usually clumsy to just keep your money in an American savings account because that, by default, it just it loses value over time. You're actually losing money by keeping it locked long term. But, and I'm, I'm so happy you said this, um, I always saw this happening. So I my account in Lebanon last the last five years, in particular, the last five, six years, not not so much before, that the dollar rate was going up so much. And I, you know, I just would see the U.S. account either safe or going down in terms of value. And then I'm like, this just doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense. And nobody ever kind of explained that uh, the Lebanese system is just built on this kind of outspending model i always thought of it as more of these are reckless endeavors and they're betting on the future hoping that this will pay itself off in 10 years without factoring in the syrian war the spillover or even that for that matter the the inevitable byproduct of lebanese being fed up with the situation and shutting the country down so i i always sense it's kind of like gambling as opposed to banking but, but I'm glad you, you made that reference because yeah, I, I would see with my own eyes and I'd say this yeah, just, so, just doesn't so, make sense. So, so go, going back to what I was, was trying to explain, you know, when, when you're getting paid 8%, now the Lebanese bank have to get this money somehow paid back to them because yeah. they, they take money from the depositors. Mm-hmm. They need to make some money. So they would lend it to the Lebanese government. Yeah. Do this several things, you know, the, the spending of the government, but also financing of this, this lifestyle that Lebanon was building that yeah. one day somebody has to pay. Right. It's <laughs> yeah, yeah. So somebody has to pay for that credit card. So now you're, you know, you're trying to find out where is the money. The money is spent or stolen, yes, right. or right. Spurred, um, you know, misused, whatever you want to call it. But part of that money was spent, was consumed. Right. So it's nowhere to be found. 
It's right. part of the lifestyle that the Lebanese have been having, you know, in, in the past few years. Right. So we're paying the party now. Now, the issue is, mm. who's paying the party? That's the big, that's the big question. The, the, par- the party meaning who's, who's now going to... The, the party meaning the good life. The good life, yeah. In Lebanon. Yeah. The stolen money and the corruption yes. and the explosion of the, of the government. Sergio, I know this is maybe, I mean, I don't want, it's up, you say as much as you'd like about this subject because I am very curious. And of course, I mean, as much as you're, you're happy to discuss, if you can project maybe a few months from now mm-hmm. and let's take protester demands into account, do you feel do you sense a certain body or perhaps a group of individuals or, or maybe an institution will be kind of the one to st- not save Lebanon, but step in and try to alleviate the situation? Or is it too soon to predict that and just things are too fluid at the moment? Because I, I wonder about the same thing, that if there's such a, such a huge amount that's owed, I don't see people rushing to save Lebanon. And that includes the regional players that usually get involved. That includes the international institutions. Even the IMF, I think, I get the feeling that there's a lot of hesitation and just throwing money into a bad idea and knowing that it may be misused again and, and stolen. So just your own opinion on that. And well, I, yeah. My opinion is before, before you think of who might be saving Lebanon, we need the Lebanese government, whatever it is, whoever it is, mm-hmm making the decision to save Lebanon. Nobody's going to come and say, because the, the, the government is nothing else but an administrator of, 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 the, of, of the country. You and I are yes. Americans. Yes. And when, when somebody who's running for office is trying to, uh, to run for office, he goes to the subway or he goes to the metro station and try to shake your hands and you probably don't even give a damn about this guy, you know, he's, he's a civil servant, he's a public servant. In Lebanon, politicians are like quasi-gods. <laughs> but you know, that celebrity aura that you're talking about, this kind of untouchable, at least that's been shattered. Exactly, I, yeah. which is good. Yeah. Which is good. Now, somebody had to, to have a, a, an overall idea, you know, there's no such a thing as somebody's going to come, yes, I will say Lebanon because it's, you know, they're beautiful, it's a great country, the coexistence, I love the pluralism. No, okay. that's, yeah. It has to be, this. we need the leadership within the Lebanese government, whatever it is. Now, this Lebanese government is representative of all the Lebanese people, mm-hmm. clearly no. So, so it literally goes back to the state, that the state will have to reform to a point that it can actually do the job better there's nothing sorry what's that they will have to lead they'll have to lead right right yes so in order to lead you need to have somebody who would follow you and that's the lebanese people so if you the the protesters the demands that you have in the streets and the general population do not support the the government the people from outside would not even look at them so you need to have this balance first Right. You need to have somebody who would be able to carry on the, 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 the task of, of, of reforming and, and, and getting a plan together, supported by the Lebanese people, and then you can think about somebody from the outside, which my, my personal view, it has to start with the IMF. Why? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because the IMF is the organization that was born for this kind of thing. Right. Now, but the IMF, 
at least in terms of negotiations, there has been a, fir- a first step that the Lebanese government, at least in principle, accepts an IMF package idea. Like the, the talks have led to something. But is there any risk where the IMF could end up getting itself involved in something that the Lebanese political system, whatever this thing is, this regime that exists, would end up using this to sort of score points rather than reform? That you'll have people being thrown under the bus and blamed for corruption. And this could even be otherwise previously untouchable figures. And you hinted at that before. Do you sense that the Lebanese regime has what it's what's needed or is this something for the future that this is not the current lineup that we can count on the problem is that we we don't have time to wait for the right lineup Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and 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 the other thing is that you have to understand the imf is like you know lebanon is kind of like in chapter 11 to speak in american terms so you you haven't declared bankruptcy but you have you have declared that you can't pay back the money you owe so you call a creditor which is the IMF in this case, and in which you have very strict uh, ways of, of measuring what you do. So they will be releasing the money, but they will not just give you a carte blanche. They are not going to give you the money just to do whatever you want. Right. The money has to be consistent with an economic program, with a plan, and it has to go in the direction in which you have disclosed the IMF that you would do. There should be a plan. And that, that that includes reform. That that should include, exactly. yeah, and, yeah. And it has to be it has to be followed, and you have to comply with it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's not regardless of who is the Lebanese authorities who are going to be doing it, and 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 be, it's beyond that. Even if you today you have this government, let's assume that this government gets the IMF deal, they yeah. will get the financing, yeah. which is what we are hoping for, and we need. Because we cannot wait until another government comes in, or maybe another election, until you know the perfect world would be that you have a new parliamentary elections, that the people who are complaining in the street would have the, their representation there. We don't have time to wait for that. Was there a similar sentiment in Argentina? That, Absolutely. That, yeah, so the timing was critical. Exactly. Okay, yes. Absolutely. Mm. It, that's why I'm, I'm, I'm talking a little bit by experience. Yeah. You have to solve, you know, we, we are, Lebanon is in intensive care. I like your analogies. I actually, it's a chapter eleven intensive yeah. care. <laughs> so, so yeah. if, you, if you're trying to give an aspirin to somebody in intensive care, yeah, it might it might alleviate some kind of pain, but you're not going to resolve the problem. But can I ask you, in, in the Argentine case, yes. were there any political steps taken before before the money sort of was was thought of or offered, or is that something that just happened separately later? Because I'm curious. The the government, precisely the problems and the protests in Argentina is because what the government did or didn't do. The government, what they did is they prevented you from withdrawing your own dollars. Okay. Right. So that's okay. That's the same. Right. The same in Lebanon. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But they did something different. They converted the money you had in dollars into pesos, into local currencies, which also they devaluated. So dollar accounts were automatically converted. There was no... Exactly, into the local currency. Yes, right. Now, one interesting thing that they did, and I'm I'm wondering if Lebanon had this, I haven't seen this discussion yet, but you do an asymmetric devaluation. What does it mean? If you devalue the deposit, you also should do the same thing. Or if you convert the deposit, you should do the same thing to the creditors. Which means, mm. if somebody in Lebanon borrowed 
uh, dollars to buy an apartment, yes. they shouldn't be paying dollars back. Because if they had money in the bank, in dollars, they're getting liras now. So they, this, this right. should be liras also. That's interesting. Did that case, I'm only assuming that's where a lot of the unrest came in Argentina. People see their money being converted and then devalued. Was there any... So was you're, you're, you're shifting money from the people who has money yes. deposited to the bank. The people who need the money, who, who, are, the, who are the people who owe money to the bank. So in, in a way, if right. Lebanon does right. the same thing, and if, let's say you are a Lebanese citizen who asks for a loan from a Lebanese bank to buy an apartment and you are paying a thousand dollars per month on the mortgage of your apartment which was in US dollars. Right. Now, will you be required to pay one thousand dollars still or that will become Lebanese liras at the devalue rate? But you would you would suggest both being lira in that case. That that if you're if you're, if you're doing a lirification, you have to do it both. On both Otherwise, ends. Otherwise yeah. you're giving the benefit to the bank. The bank right, paid right. in liras, but gets paid in dollars. Right. It's not fair. Now, in Argentina, did the dollar return to the market at some point, or was this sort of like a? It's an it's it an old story. Many years. It took many many years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, 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 but, but you know, it's still today, almost twenty years after, nobody trusts the Lebanese at uh, the Argentinian banking system. I like this, I, this that. That's that's the Freudian slip I wanted to hear. Yeah. <laughs> so so the problem is if you don't fix this in a proper way. And, and don't forget that many of the depositors are Lebanese members of the diaspora, and this is where I probably come in, you know. Right, right, and their and, their, their patience is are is completely gone as well. I mean, both sides. Not only that, that but you're going to need them again in the future. Right, right. So who is going to deposit if the Lebanese bank don't pay back the money the way they they got it? Yeah, you can you can probably discuss with them. Okay, then let's lower the interest rate. Then let's let's keep the money and we'll pay you. You know, maybe two years, three years. We don't. We cannot pay you now. Everybody understands. And yeah. invest, as, as I said, right. you know, they were getting eight percent, nine percent interest rate. Now they should understand that they were taking a big risk because this is a personal decision. Right. You deposit right. the money in a bank that pays you so high interest rate. You have. You were taking the risk yeah. as a depositor. Now, what Lebanon needs is that. We don't get the, the banking system totally destroyed and wiped out for the future, even for the future development of Lebanon, right. for the future development of industries, for the future development of loans to uh, you know people who want to buy homes in Lebanon. You need to you need to keep the, the financial system, like you know, so you cannot totally destroy it yes. by not paying or by just giving them liras. Who is going to put money back again in the banks in Lebanon? But, but then we go to the example of Argentina. Right, right. But I mean, they didn't do that. Yeah. They did the wrong thing. Mm. They pacified the money. Mm. They they kept it. They, they did not allow you to to take it out. So what happened? Argentinians never trusted the banking system again until yeah. today. Right. And you know where money Argentinians have their money or their savings? Lebanon. Abroad. In the US, <laughs> in Switzerland, yeah. in Uruguay, yes. under their mattresses, they don't trust the banking system. So this is something which is very, uh, you, you have to be very careful. And that's a, that's a both emotional and psychological fear. And that I, I sense, at least in the medium term, very few Lebanese are going to rush to put their money back in the Lebanese banking sector. That's an unfortunate consequence to what happened. But you're, I absolutely agree with you. Long term, there's just no way around it. 
that if you want to stabilize and rebuild the economy, you have to ensure some trust. But I'm getting from you that trust, the, 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 first, the first few steps in trust building is political reform, that the state yeah. has to show that it's doing its job to a point. Otherwise, this is a lost cause. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And you need to, to line up the Lebanese people behind it. Yes. Because, you know, otherwise, you know, the, 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 you might get the finance from the IMF. You might get maybe the creditors to go along, you know, the, the people who bought the bonds. You might get the diaspora to accept, you know, a little bit of a shortcut or maybe the interest payments to be reduced and in the future withdrawn in stages so you don't uh, wipe out the financial system. You might get all that. Right. But if you don't get the support of the Lebanese people and you don't cater for all these people that are protesting now and some of the legitimate demands are not met, yes. we are we are in, in, in you know in the same soup for, for many more years to come. Sergio, can I ask you in the case of Venezuela, which my my limited knowledge is there's some overlap, but there are stark differences too. And in some ways the Venezuelan case may not be as bad as the Lebanese one. But I, I just want to gauge your mind on this. Does does Venezuela fit in to what we're seeing in Lebanon? And I mean that in terms of the 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 stark political upheaval, the social unrest, also the the economic crisis, and what we're seeing in Lebanon on a, on a smaller scale, but of course impacting Lebanon as well. Or or is this something that's completely separate that the Venezuelan story is a case on its own? Cuz I I always hear today it's three countries. It's Greece, Argentina, and Venezuela. And when I look at each country, these are very different stories. It, but they all went through some form of crisis. That's the common thread. But I don't know if you can say anything about Venezuela, at least when it but, links to Lebanon. First of all, I think Lebanon is neither of the three. So, mm. so it's very different from all of them. Mm -hmm. Greece, it's part of the European Union. Right. Okay? There yeah. you have it. Yeah. Then you have a lender of last resort. There you have... Uh, other parties interested in you solving the problem. It's not the case, of course. Of that. Yeah. So, Argentina is—it's a very wealthy country. So you can't compare to Lebanon. You know why? Because Argentina, right after the crisis, despite the banks converting all your money, all your dollars into pesos, despite you not trusting the the system, Argentina went back to 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 eight percent GDP growth right. per year right. because it's a huge exporter. And because because you know it's, it's it has a very large economy. Yes. You know, ten times the population of Lebanon and fifty times the size of Lebanon in terms of of of, right. of, 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 of territory. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's 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 not comparable in that sense. You know, what is comparable is the pain of the people. Right. And that yeah. and that kind of like insecurity of losing your money, losing access to your money. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 the, and the disgust with the political class. Right. Right. Okay. Um, so, so Venezuela is totally different. Why? Because I think Venezuela is worse than Lebanon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And actually, I'm just going to interrupt for a moment. It was the Economist, I think, last week. We're the we're the bottom two of the most corrupt. I think it was corruption. We're the worst. <laughs> number sixty one, number sixty two of. I, I hope I got this right. It's the Developing Economies Index based on a scale of corruption and mismanagement, and we're just above Venezuela. So we're not as bad. <laughs> yeah, no, but, but Venezuela, I'll, I'll tell you, Venezuela, the problem in Venezuela is that they don't have anybody willing to lend them the money that need to 
to get out of the problem. Lebanon right. still has some lenders, you know, you still have the IMF talking to Lebanon, you still have Seder, which has a lot of conditions. Yes, right. Yeah. You still have some countries in the Gulf that I'm pretty sure they would be willing to uh, support Lebanon if, this is a big if, the political situation in Lebanon would be a little bit more uh, uh, not so controlled by one political party, which is precisely opposed to their interests. Do you think they still have the stomach to try that again, uh, uh, even with that kind of condition? If Hezbollah controls Lebanon, no, I wouldn't. I mean, mm. if I was a Qatari, yeah. if I was a Kuwaiti or a Saudi Arabia, why would I put my money uh, in the in, in the hands of somebody who is yeah. uh, declared the enemy of of my country? So uh, this is one of the problems that we have. It's a yeah. political problem. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now Venezuela yeah. has been hijacked by the generals around Chavez and his successor, Mr. Maduro. Right. So you, right. The country is hijacked also but the problem the additional problem you have in venezuela is that venezuela has has a, a single ex, a single export for the past 50 years which has been oil right right and you know the price of oil today is to a level in which yeah venezuela won't even be able to use it for the minimal uh, things they need to do to keep the country going. Oh, so in other words, Venezuela's situation is almost beyond its control to a point. Lebanon still can do some restructuring. Venezuela is a lost cause in, in that sense. Exactly. Hmm. So, so not only because nobody is willing to lend them, they are a really party of the world. They have very few friends and friends who don't want to put more money there. That's interesting. Uh, and who are the friends of Venezuela? Russia? Ir- Iran. Yeah. And Iran and Cuba, these yeah. are not countries who are, are, are willing and able to go and help them. So, so the situation in Venezuela is, and, and, and on their own, they cannot produce enough to survive on at the price with the price of oil that we have today, and that right. we will have for the few years to come right. until it gets back to more normal prices, if you want. If you were to put Lebanon on a scale between, let's say, the possibilities in the future. Is it somewhere between Venezuela and Argentina, and that we will not see eight percent growth? I, 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 what I would do in Lebanon is, is, is flip the coin kind of things. Okay, <laughs> so it depends how the coin falls. I mean, yeah. if, if it's the number or the face, or and and, and, and this is the reality. I mean, mm. Lebanon has either you either you do it right or you don't do it. Right. It's, it's but, not that you have that either you 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 do and negotiate and you do the reforms. And, 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 and you stop the corruption or you cannot have you cannot be half pregnant you know you cannot say well lend me the money I promise that I would no never Lebanon needs to be reformed politically and economically and, and we need a clean system and, and, and the problem is this government or, or this political class is up to the task that's the big question I like that you've you've kind of narrowed it down to a point where it all goes to political reform and political reform not in a cosmetic surgery way in a very sort of restructuring way where where the state fundamentally alters its behavior and I I want to maybe go back to an earlier subject about holding the Lebanese regime to account if there's no time and I agree with you that I mean we're now almost seven months away from the beginning of the of the protests but we're in a way, years now from that initial economic 
jolt. So it's really, it. I mean, Lebanon is in such a bad state right now that the only way forward is to kind of move on it right now. And I agree, time is on no one's side. But what could an institution like the IMF do to pressure people to behave differently? Because I don't understand the in, inner workings of this kind of dance. Where is it? Is it something very straightforward where the IMF says you need to show us your books, otherwise you're not going to get more money? Is it? Does it come down to that, yeah. or or is it something more political where certain states get involved? Or I mean, how how does that look like? Because I, I don't really know the the inner workings. The IMF doesn't get involved into politics. The IMF looks at your numbers mm. and you, you you provide a plan, and they will make sure that with the money that you are getting from them, you are doing what you are supposed to do with the plan you presented. Now, that's, okay? that seems to be the same demand that a protester has yeah. on the street. Accountability. Yeah. Right? Exactly. But, um, exactly. But is there any, I guess what I'm asking is, is it just simply based on trust that if you show us numbers that sound right, we'll give you more? Well, I mean, you, you have audited. You, you have audits. You have a permanent controls of your uh, of your accounts you know it's not as easy as okay i'll give you money but you know I'll, I'll, then i'll see how you do no you really have to show the reforms that you uh, that you promised that you were going to make you have to explain very clearly how you're going to spend the money and you have to show that you have spent it in that way so i think it's you know we are not that difficult we're not that far from that decision to no but the reason i i keep asking you this question is because and i i, I sorry for sounding almost like uh i don't mean to repeat myself but this seems so alien to me in the lebanese context and that's why i'm kind of i'm curious what does it really look like is it a lebanese minister who has to suddenly reinterpret the way lebanon is governed individually because I'm really curious. This, you know, yeah. Ronnie, let me, let me tell you something very simple. <laughs> the IMF will not ask you to violate a Lebanese law. They will ask you to respect it. <laughs> the IMF right. will not ask right. you to right. go against the interest of Lebanon. They will ask you to do that precisely that, go in favor of the interest of Lebanon. And that is the problem, that you would have to stop the corruption that you would have to stop the political clientelistic traditions that we've had for many, many years, but they have been entrenched in the past 30 years more and more. Yes. yes. This is where the problem lay, lay, lays, you know, is, is that the politicians that are running the country today, they will have to renounce to all this, which is the source of their power. But, and, and they just, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, I keep, pushing on this point but that means that they have to disclose i mean not just hezbollah's one subject that i don't think they can touch and that it's just impossible for me to it's impossible yeah so i can't see an auditor saying well you know we need to see that as well i just to me it's so no, alien no, it's a political problem you know yeah. as long as they don't get involved in you know sending money to whatever Hezbollah or any other party, I don't care, uh, in, in, in an illegal way, the IMF is not going to tell you what you have to do with a political party or with the militia. They don't get involved into that. They get involved into the management of the finances of the state and the central bank. That's so, it. Right. So in other words, all they can do is sort of push the regime to be less corrupt and, and show some transparency. 
but the Lebanese state will have to do the very, very difficult job of reinterpreting things like not just Hezbollah, but, but many things in the Lebanese psyche. They, they would have to do the very difficult job of governing the country the way they should have for the past 30 years. Now, going back to Venezuela, way, did, did, yeah. I, sorry, did the IMF ever get involved in the Venezuelan story in the last few years, or did they look at it as, as no, something? No, because, because, you know, uh, th this is the other thing. You know, some people think that the, you, the IMF is an American institution, that, you know, it's, it's a worldwide organization. Of course, America has a bigger asset. You know, Lebanon is a member of the IMF. Lebanon... Right, yeah. Funds the IMF. Yes. When when other countries like Argentina borrow from the IMF, part of that money came from Lebanon that deposited to the IMF. Right. As as, as a depositor, you know, we are members of the IMF. Why are you a member of the IMF? For whenever whenever you have a crisis in your currency and then you have a financial crisis, then you can go to this institution to which you belong. It's mm. a club. Yes. which you belong, and they will help you solve the problem with certain conditions. So the Venezuelan state did not, the, the, the Venezuelan regime did not request IMF assistance? No. Right. So that actually hints at it, because the Lebanese party that did not want IMF uh, assistance was pushed into kind of making a, a soft sort of uh, acceptance. Of yeah, so that, that maybe actually that goes back to your initial point, which is, the Lebanese case is not as bad as Venezuela. I, I don't think it's as bad, but it's urgent. Yeah, right. Uh, uh, so, so yeah. uh, it's 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 make it or break it. That's the problem. That that you know you really have to tackle the problem right now. Then you will have many other problems that will come along. You right, know? right. For instance, you know the poverty level in, in Lebanon is going to increase because if you have the devaluation. And, and all of a sudden, you know, most of the things that are imported from Lebanon, the purchasing power of the Lebanese people are going to go down below the drains. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, if you were able, your, if your salary in Lebanese pounds was, you know, $500, maybe in the future it's going to be $200. Yeah. And if you need to import everything, those $200 will do half of what they used to be. Uh, so, 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 so this is the problem. And this is where you have similarities with Argentina. Right, 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 right. Now, Argentina yes. has the capability, you know, to, to create an industry, to create an export. Now, why, what, what kind of industry is Lebanon going to create and how long it's going to take? How, how long is going to take for Lebanon to get back the financial system, which was one of the core of the services that Lebanon offered back in, in, into, in, into normal times? Hmm. How long is going to be, because the, the coronavirus also, it's, it's a new curse on Lebanon. How, how long is it going to take for the tourists to come back to Lebanon? I mean, from my, this is my own instinctual feeling, with or without coronavirus, the tourism industry is going to take years to go back to something that's acceptable. That's, I mean, it's hard to imagine that recovering anytime soon. Even, even with Lebanese diaspora willing to make the exception, yeah, but that's not, the numbers are not there. Exactly, they will keep going to Lebanon, but yeah. the, the, the things that Lebanon needs to re reinvent itself, you know, we need to find products that we can export. We need to find things that we need to do that, that, that Lebanon has the competitive edge and the competitive advantage. Right. You know, we should stop exporting people. This has been the main export of Lebanon for the past 200 years. That's absolutely, that's absolutely true. Look at both of us. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and, and this is this is where I think you know it's 
make it or break it. Because if the Lebanese government, uh, this one or the one that comes next, they cannot cater to to the to the desires and to the wishes and to the will of the Lebanese people that are demanding that they don't want to live anymore, they don't want to emigrate, they want decency uh, to live in the country, right. they want their rights to be respected. They are not asking for nothing that is not in the constitution of Lebanon. They are not asking for anything that any citizen of any country would. The only difference that you have between Lebanon and other countries is that fortunately in Lebanon we can still demonstrate, we can still speak freely. You cannot, I'm not going to mention because there are so many, but in, in, in our surroundings in the Middle East, very few countries you can do that without getting shot or without getting uh, murdered or, or kidnapped or even worse. You're right. And even even in the most violent moments of the last six, seven months, it doesn't even begin to compare to what we saw in, I mean, Syria's not even, forget Syria, Iraq, Iran, just that we, we do it. We do that well, and I think you're. I agree with you. Even when it's sad to see journalists being interrogated, being sent to have this sort of cup of coffee, uh, journalists do have some flexibility, and there is some breathing space in Lebanon, which is uh, which is one of those few things I think that we've managed to hold on to, despite all the bad stuff that's happening. We can still discuss ideas, you know. It's yeah. Like, uh, but but there, there 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 are red lines in Lebanon. There are. And I, yeah. I kind of go back to this uh, subject regularly that that big story in Lebanon, which we both kind of got into, a, a sub-state group that can, in a way, say yes or no to an IMF bailout, and the Lebanese state has to go ahead with that. I mean, that's just that's the that's the most non-violent example of that group's behavior. I always see that that's the red line, regardless. And I don't know, I really don't know what Lebanon, uh, what reform looks like, so long as that group is left out of the equation. And I, I look yeah. at the bright side, Ronnie. I agree with you, but to that that group, you know, the big elephant in the room, Hezbollah, do they have the capability, really capability, of saying no to the IMF? They don't. They don't dare. Do they have the capability of stopping the Lebanese revolution? They are, they're trying very hard. They can't. You mm. have demonstrations in Nabatia. You have demonstrations in in Baalbek, you know, they, this is proving their limit too. Mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. and, and this is important. Right. And right? That, that, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So in that sense, this crisis might be to the benefit of Lebanon in that regards, that, you know, we're going to probably solve part of the corruption problem, hopefully solve that problem. We're going to solve some of the political issues and we're going to solve the biggest problem of them all, that you have an armed group that... Uh, they can use their weapons uh, in the way which they want. And, and it's to attack an enemy of Lebanon, to attack uh, or to defend their partner uh, in, in Syria, or even to attack the Lebanese people themselves uh, directly or indirectly, as they have done in 2008, and they do uh, on the, against the demonstration. But, but this is stretching the limits of, of Hezbollah also. And, and yeah. we have to look into this as an opportunity. You know, but I, and also, I guess it, it shows just how desperate the economy and the financial situation is, that their own power, so to speak, is limited in certain ways. And that's one example of how they cannot overstep without causing Lebanese to go out more and, and express their frustration more and potentially risk their own, their own sort of uh, status within Lebanon. Um, but that is, 
you know, I get it from all these conversations that we're going through a very, very, very pessimistic moment, a very def- difficult and very uh, painful episode. But every conversation I've had, if you project, it, it seems like this is the beginning of something new and that this is the only way to turn the page in Lebanon. And that maybe a decade from now, we'll look back and see this as that sort of a rebirth, so to speak, of of all things that we associate with this country. And it's everything, politics, economics, uh, it's the social factor, it's it's everything is kind of being discussed open. And I, I sense that I will see a different Lebanon in 10 years. And I'll look back and realize that I grew up in a Lebanon that maybe no longer exists. But you know, uh, uh, Lebanon has come back from so many episodes in which everybody thought that Lebanon was dead, you know. Mm-hmm. We had we had the civil war, uh, which I don't think it was civil, but, uh, but but we had the war in the 70s, and nobody thought that Lebanon could come back from that. Right. We had president's kill, and, so, and sometimes people say that's the end of Lebanon. And when Hariri was killed, they, they, called, they killed Mr. Lebanon. So, so we've seen so many of these things that they think that Khalas, this is the end of Lebanon. And the Lebanese always has the capability of, 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 of tweaking with reality and coming back. You know? Right, right. And, and that's why I'm hopeful. And that's why I think that today is not the right time to, to, uh, to attack the, the militia uh, directly head, head on because you have no power to do that. Yes. Nobody yeah. can. Even the, the biggest powers or the regional powers can do that. You think we can do it? No. But there are other ways in which we can force uh, the, the political discourse, force the economic future of Lebanon in a way that it's convenient for Lebanon. Either they change and adjust or they lose. But they are not yeah. going to win this one. Well said, so, Sergio. Unless, unless they take over the country, which I don't think that they can do because they are, at the end of the day, they are a minority. I couldn't have said that better in terms of both caution and hopeful i think it's kind of neck and neck um i'll just wrap up by saying uh i i I really appreciate the words you said at the beginning about about my father um i don't know if it's visible on your end but there's a a small picture of him kind of and it's a drawing it's a it's sort of just a little drawing of him sort of flying over over the country over lebanon so i keep that above for these episodes i see something very valuable above you a uh a, almost a glossary of countries to visit and these are all travel guides so i'm guessing i'm guessing you have been around because there's uh from india to spain to yeah, I, I, I have i have many my you know i've visited 102 countries 102 okay yes. well you know and then we'll have many more to visit I, well, that's true, but that's not a bad number. You're in the tri- triple digits already. The next time we speak, I hope we can talk about diaspora, the South American story, Lebanese in, in Latin America. That's a whole episode on itself. And uh, I'm, I'm actually uh, I'm happier speaking to you than Carlos Rosen, uh, Shakira, or Salma Hayek, for that matter. Or who's the telecoms guy in Mexico? I forget his name now. The richest man. One of the... Carlos Slim, thank you. Yeah, yeah. So, thank you, sir. I really appreciate your time today. And for Tony, I know, I know that we had uh, the idea we, when we talked last Friday, we were going to talk about the diaspora. I know, and, and I kind of, you know, thought about that. But you know, the conversations took took us here, and uh, well, 
you know, anytime I, I'll be very happy to discuss with you diaspora. You know, I'm I'm familiar with the, the very old diaspora. Which, yes, right. Uh, but it's interesting, you know, and just to to leave something hanging in there. Uh, I, I hate it when, when, when everybody talks about 12 million, 15 million Lebanese. Mm. And, and, and I, why I don't like it? Because it, it's, it's, it's not, it doesn't reflect the reality. It doesn't reflect the truth. We believe that there are 15 million Lebanese that are going to come to the rescue. No. And one day I will go into the numbers with you and to tell you how those Lebanese, how, uh, you know, how those 15, the 15 million number came about. And you will realize that we have to adjust our hopes and we have to uh, you know, be more realistic. But I mean, we'll, we'll get into that because that's something that I think that's a story on itself. And I actually you're the perfect person because I know that, you, you know, in effect, you, you even your academic sort of career. This is the story. It's sort of uh, Lebanese managing their life abroad and reminding us that they're abroad to a point. Yes. They're not in Lebanon. And. I hope I hope we'll leave it hanging here that the total number is crazy it's something like 15 or 16 and that's a, that's an exaggerated maybe optimistic number but in terms of actual Hawi holders or passport holders the number is not that big it goes down to several million only if I understood that right that I will give you, I will give you a very quick example yes <laughs> you know, my in my family my four grandparents uh, were born in Lebanon so in my family, I have about 10 people, you know, direct, my, my grandfathers, uh, their brothers and sisters. So in all the, 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 four, the four families, I had maybe 10 people emigrated to Latin America, mm -hmm. okay. to Latin America and US. Now, today, the descendants of those 10 people are about 1,000 people. Oh my God. Okay? <laughs> Similar generation. Yes. Now, do you want to know how many of those a thousand ever visited Lebanon? I'm going to guess. I'm going to guess. Less than 10%. Less than 10. Less than Not 10. 10. Right. Right. Okay. You so that's... How many Lebanese passport? A handful, maybe five or two. two. Me and my brother. Do you know how many voted in the last elections? Zero. None. Because I was <laughs> in, in Spain giving class classes and I didn't vote. In, I was registered in the Argentinian embassy. And that will give you yeah, you know, and it's a family which is composed mostly Lebanese. I'm telling you, four grandparents. In most cases, the diaspora is maybe one or two grandparents from Lebanese origin. So right, you, right. You get more diluted. So let's uh, concentrate our hopes into. The, the, of course, you can engage that diaspora. I'm not saying that these are useless. Mm -hmm, you know? mm -hmm. Some of these people are, you know, very successful business people, professors, professionals. They can be engaged to Lebanon. So and right. there are ways of engaging them to Lebanon. Yes. But we have to do a lot of work for that. And that's what my center is trying to do. Educate the people about Lebanon, tell them about Lebanon, uh, explain what Lebanon really is, that you know we are not terrorists. And, and this image, you know, people think, still think of Lebanon as a country in war. You know, as, of course, as, as, yeah. yeah. So there is a lot of work needed to be done still. Sergio, next week, I'm going to announce this on the podcast so that I'm putting you on the spot here. We're going to schedule a time next week to talk about that. Yeah, no, and and uh, thank you for also willing to have Salma Hayek join you next time too. I really appreciate that. 
I, I, I promise I, w- I will try. Yeah, well, that, then I know that's no. the that's the Lebanese in you. Then I know the answer. This, this is when you have to be pessimistic. Yeah, <laughs> that's actually pretty good. We'll leave it there. I look forward to speaking to you about that subject next time. But about the financial situation and the comparisons to South America it was very valuable. I really appreciate everything you said, and I've learned a lot just by this uh, this hour of speaking with you. So thank you, Sergio. Thank you, Ronnie. Looking forward to listening to all your uh, future episodes. Thanks for listening. And a friendly reminder to help support this podcast by contributing through Patreon or PayPal. All links are in the details box below. Until next time, I'm Ronnie Shatah, and this is the Beirut Banyan.